Well, good evening, church. The weeks roll by, don't they? Here we are, Wednesday night, the middle of the week, and time for our devotional refresh. Get a Bible. We're working through Mark's gospel, close-ups of Jesus through the lens of Mark. This is, boy, it's part 19. We're in the last part now of uh, Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at two things most of the time tonight on Jesus going up to Jerusalem and a conversation with his disciples. We'll spend most of our time there, and then really quickly at the end, uh, Jesus and the healing of blind Bartimaeus. So Mark 10, let's look at 32 to 34, Jesus kind of preparing his disciples for what's going to happen at Jerusalem. So Mark 10, 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Interesting, those two responses. And taking the twelve again, so just his close disciples, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, 33, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. Look how clear Jesus is. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. He lists them specifically. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him. Look at the details. Flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Now, this is at least the third time, very specifically, where Jesus talks about his coming death, his crucifixion. Mark 8.31, Mark 9.31, and now 10.33-34. And each time, um, a little bit more detail, is it's expanded out more clearly, more specifically. Matthew, in fact, Matthew actually in... Matthew 20, 19, he actually uses the word the crucifixion. He'll be crucified. Matthew 20, 19 says, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. We read this and we wonder what exactly is going on, why the disciples don't see it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But three times. So, so, Apparently, Jesus sees this as the most important event, the thing they need to get right. It's not that Jesus is being morbid. It's not that he's just trying to depress his disciples. With each of these reminders, here's what Jesus is saying. Uh, My coming death is not an accident. So he's, he's trying to show them, The prophets predicted this. Jesus himself predicts it. So they weren't to view Jesus' death as just, you know, uh, a martyr and things got out of hand. That this was a planned event, planned in the heart of Father God. It was an orchestrated event. And notice something else. Here's something else to notice, that each time, here very specifically, but each time Jesus talked about his death, his coming death at Jerusalem, his crucifixion, he never just said he was going to be killed. He always said killed and raised. He will rise again on the third day. So, so again, there's something different about this. It's a planned, prophesied, orchestrated, 
divine event. He's dying and he knows it. That's why he came. And then he will rise again. So there's, there's a, a picture of redemption here, the completeness of this whole plan. Now look what happens now. Point number two, uh, verse 35. The disciples have this strange request. It doesn't seem to fit with what Jesus has just explained. 1035, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, look at this, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. I can think of times when when I was a, a small boy and I would go to my mom or my dad and say, I'm going to ask you something and I want you to say yes before I ask you. And that's what the disciples are doing here. Teacher, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And, and immediately my mind just flashes uh, to James. He says, you, you ask and you ask amiss, just consuming it on your own desires. Prayer doesn't work like that. But Jesus is very patient. 36, he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, so Jesus just tells them he's going to die. And somehow, grant unto us, 37, to sit one at your right hand, one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They said to him, we are able. Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. They're going to be following him uh, down this road of suffering more than they know. 40. But to sit at my right hand or at my left, is, is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. So James and John want the two good seats, but the other ten disciples, they don't fare much better. They're jealous. <laughs> They're upset. 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. And the disciples, they know exactly what Jesus is talking about because they live under the thumb of Rome, the power, the people that have the authority, and they lord it over them. So when Jesus says this to the disciples, they get it. They, they, they see that kind of authority all the time. They just don't see it in, their, in the desires of their own heart. 43, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. This is a really hard passage. It's hard to know exactly what's going on inside the disciples' heads. Jesus has just talked about his suffering, his death, Maybe they still don't, maybe they still don't get it. Maybe this concept of a suffering Messiah who will redeem the world by his spilled blood. 
Maybe they still think Jesus is going to Jerusalem to establish some kind of earthly messiahship. Maybe they misunderstand when Jesus says after three days he will rise. Uh, If that's the case, maybe they thought they need to get their place, their positions nailed down quickly. Who knows why they can't get this? But I have out of of those words, I have uh, five quick thoughts. A, Jesus saw his own death as a cup, he uses that word, and a baptism in verse 38. I want to just look at those things. The cup. If you didn't have a lot of uh, background, context for that, it would be easy not to really get the full impact of what Jesus is saying. This, this idea of a cup, frequently used through the prophetic passages of the Old Testament, the book of Revelation, uh, a picture of uh, the pouring out of God's wrath on sinful people. Uh, I get that in places like Isaiah fifty-one seventeen. Listen to these words. Wake yourself. Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs from the bowl, the cup. Look at Revelation 16, 19. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine, of the fury of his wrath. And all of a sudden, you get it. You start to see Jesus in the garden. Let this cup pass from me. Don't think of a little cup container. He's in the garden praying. There's no communion taking place here. The cup he's thinking of is is this prophetic cup, this picture of God's wrath that Jesus will bear. Secondly, he defines his death as a, as a baptism that he had to go through. Luke, Luke 12, 50 says, Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus, remember when he goes to John the Baptist and he's going to be baptized, John goes, oh, no, no, no. And Jesus says, it's to fulfill all righteousness. He has to go through that baptism, baptism of repentance, because Jesus Jesus will be treated like a sinner, bearing our sins. And that's the same with this picture of, of baptism. This, it's a mind-boggling truth. The, the kind of identity, even his, not just his baptize, baptism in water with John, he calls his death, the bearing of God's wrath, as a baptism that he has to go through. It's, it's continuing this theme. Jesus will be treated as though he deserved to be punished for my sins. That's the kind of thing you just kneel by your bed and say, God, give me understanding. That's a, a, a huge, huge truth. B, the disciples had to face their own participation in this suffering with Jesus. I get that in 38 and 39. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said, we are able. He said it really quickly. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. 
Very forceful words. This, there was more to following Jesus than just receiving his forgiveness and his pardon. That was precious truth for sure. But as he had taught earlier, um, Mark 8, 34 to, to 38, they will, they will participate in his suffering. They will experience their own cross carrying. Now, not in the same way, but, but the same concept when Christians are baptized. We do it here, well, we used to do it here just regularly every Sunday night. And it's, and it's this downward, this death to self in the old life. There's a price to pay for following Jesus. There's precious reward and fruit. But there's being baptized and there's living baptized, that kind of death to self that has to take place in our own lives. See, this concept of unlearning the world's system of greatness, it's in uh, 35 to 37 and then 41 to 44. Let's just read those. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, well, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Now look at 41. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. So now you got this whole kerfuffle going on. 42, Jesus called them to him. Come here, he says. And he said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. The important words are over them, over top, top down, over them. 30, 43, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave at all. Slave of all, sorry. So they, they see this kind of authority in the Roman government. They know what it's like to have things lorded over them, 42. And, and in their desire for greatness, isn't this the way sin works? In their desire for position and greatness, they are showing the same kind of heart that they resent seeing in the Roman leaders who exercise authority over them. They're doing the same kind of thing, and we realize how this gets a grip on our own hearts. D, only by acts of service can one become truly great. He says in verse 44, whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Do you remember? It wasn't that long ago we studied, and Jesus comes and he takes a child. You have to, you have to get into the kingdom like this. And now it's the same kind of truth. Isn't Jesus a patient teacher? Same lessons, same lessons over and over again. Boy, I take comfort in that when I look at my own life and the kind of things where the Lord has to teach me and lead me and I come back to his feet like a little kid all over again. Same lesson and have to relearn it. I'm so grateful for these examples of the, the patience of Jesus going over the same ground with his disciples over and over again. E. Jesus himself is the greatest example of this kind of servant heart. 45, for even, and I think we're meant to circle even, even the Son of Man. You're following me, Jesus said? Here's why I came. Not to be served, 
but to serve, give his life a ransom for many. I see two important words in that quote from Jesus in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Look at two words, give. Uh, Jesus' death wasn't an accident, nor as many in the progressive theology camp. You start reading guys like uh, Greg Boyd and Brian Zahn and Stephen Chalk with this idea of it's like cosmic child abuse, God beating up on his son. That's not what you're seeing here. The son, the son of man, that's Jesus. He came to give his life. The Trinity is involved. This is God giving himself. Jesus is not a helpless victim. He gives his own life. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. I have authority to take it, to lay it down and take it up again. And the second word to see there is that word ransom. It literally means payment or purchase price. So, so he's giving his life to redeem, to buy back, to bear the penalty and the bondage and the enslavement, both the guilt and the enslavement of sin. Jesus comes to bear and to free. I was looking at those words in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, let me just see if I can get my finger in there. Verses 4 and 5. Prophet looking forward to the Messiah. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So you have this guilt dealt with. And by his wounds, we are, we are healed. Beautiful, beautiful words. Let's look quickly at the healing of blind Bartimaeus. It's in 46 to 52. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd. Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. So you get these historic details, so you know this isn't just some kind of a myth. Which Bartimaeus are we talking about? The son of Timaeus. Like fictional characters don't have ancestries like this. He was sitting by the roadside, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Remember when the uh, people brought children to Jesus and the disciples rebuked them? Jesus, he doesn't have time for this kind of stuff. Here's the same thing. This blind man, and then 48, many rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you, and throwing off his cloak. He sprang up, he came to Jesus. Jesus said to him, What, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. 
And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus, so Jesus does more than just talk about serving people. He, he, he ministers. He reaches out to people that the crowd, the crowd says, don't, don't bother Jesus. And so here's this man, his faith uh, overcomes his need. And you see it in his persistence, staying with it. And you see the compassion of Jesus against the whole crowd. Jesus stops. He truly does come to serve and touch and reach with compassion to many, many, many. And he still does to this day. I love Mark's gospel. I love just going through and looking at these things from the life of Jesus, beholding the glory of our Lord, Paul says, we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. Let's pray. We're so grateful that the account of Jesus isn't lost to us. We're so grateful that we know what he said. We know what he taught. We know what he said about himself, about his death, about his resurrection. We know what he, what he taught about serving in our hearts. And so, Lord Jesus, let, let, uh, let this move from being print on paper, words out of my mouth, to seed sown in our heart that brings life, kingdom life, to Cedarview Community Church and beyond. We love you and we love your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Join us uh, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, right here in the sanctuary and uh, live stream, continuing with uh, our study through, through Philippians, keeping your joy, the biblical theology of an isolated prisoner. And then Sunday night, we'll be, uh, we'll be in Romans, finishing up the book of Romans, two or three more weeks there. God bless you, church. Stay in the word. Love one another.